it was in 1983. I was uh, serving as the president of the Pastors Conference for the Southern Baptist Convention in Pittsburgh, and I'd ask Ed and the choir to come on the Saturday before it began because we'd made a decision and had sent out an information that we were going to pull the cross on a route around Pittsburgh. We invited pastors from other places to come so that as we pulled the cross, and uh, as we gathered to do that, we had a route we were supposed to go, but uh, they're having a celebration in Three Rivers Park. And so the decision was made, we don't, we don't need to go around that route. We need to go right through the heart of the park where the people are pulling the cross. And uh, so we made that decision. And we'd gone just a few feet pulling it in the cross, and the person that was pulling it, uh, the policeman came up and said, you can't go through the park. He said, uh, that's not your route. You've got to follow the route. And, and the guy said, look, we want to go through the park. That's where all the people are. He said, they're taking in their coolers of beer. They're taking in their, uh, all the uh, things. They're carrying in a lot of stuff. Why, why can't we just carry the cross through there? And uh, he said, you may, you may go to jail. But I remember he, he laid down on his face and got up. And we started walking through the park, pulling the cross. He said there are going to be three things that happen. Some people will mock us. Some people will just say, there go those crazy people. But some people are going to get under conviction. And they're going to get saved. And that's exactly what happened. But as we came to the other side of where we'd pulled the cross, there was the choir. I've gotten if they were sitting on standing or sitting. I can see the picture in my mind. And as we walked up, having felt all the demons of hell as we went through the cross, through the park, but at the same time feeling the power of God, uh, the choir was singing, I will glory in the cross. And it's just like a, a cloud of the presence of God just came down. As they sang to the top of their voices, I will glory in the cross. This week, Christians all over the world will glory in the cross. Why in the world would you glory in two pieces of wood, the cross? Why in the world? Would you glory in the cross? It's because of what happened there. It's because of what happened. And once you get to know what happened on that cross, and once you get to know who died on that cross, it never ever becomes a piece of wood again. Sometimes if it's around someone's neck or on a steeple, it's a reminder. It's a reminder what the cross, the, uh, the, what God did for us. And so this morning, I just want to talk to you 
about the purpose of the cross. What was the purpose of God's Son, the sinless Lamb of God? What was the purpose of Him dying in our place? Why did He do that? Why did God send His only Son into the world to redeem a rebellious, sinful human race that had gone its own way. God didn't have to do that, but he did. And so as we look at the cross, we need to understand the purpose of it. And it came to me that there are many facets to why Jesus died, but I want to talk to you about two things. First of all, the purpose of the cross was to reconcile us to God. That, that's why he came. But the second purpose was, and I got so excited about this, was to restore us to what God created us to be. In other words, in order for us to, we had to be reconciled to God so that God could restore us for the reason that he created us. You say, well, Pastor, why did we need to be reconciled to God? I want you to look at Romans. You can see it on the screen. I'll have it in the Bible here. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and, uh, and 11. It says, for if when we were enemies, now think about that. God sent into his, his son into the world full of enemies. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Oh, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, that being reconciled, we shall be, it says, if when we were enemies, God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. It says, and not only that, but we rejoice to find through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. There's another passage that says the same thing. In Colossians 1, 19 through 22, it'll be on the screen for you. It says, for it pleased God that in him all the fullness should dwell. And then it went on to say in the next verse, and by him, now get this, by him to reconcile all things to himself. Jesus came on a mission of reconciliation. Whether they be on earth, things in heaven. Uh, uh, they, they, Jesus made peace, it says, through the blood of his cross. So Jesus came on a ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Jesus came on a clear mission to reconcile us from God, to re reconcile us to God. Because there was separation. There was separation. Sin had separated us from God. One other scripture about this reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, I want you to notice what it says about the reconciliation. 
Now all things of God, who has reconciled us to himself. Now listen to this. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, and it, and it just shows uh, that Jesus came on a ministry of reconciliation. Now, let me tell you why we needed to be reconciled. Adam and Eve had a, had a perfect body, a perfect soul, and a perfect spirit. They lived in a perfect place, and they were to live forever. But the tempter came and asked Eve, can you eat of all the trees of the garden? She said, we can, but one. We cannot eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If we do, we will die. He said, you won't die. He lied. He said, you know, God knows if you eat it, you'll be just like God. So Adam and Adam, Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She sinned. She did. What is sin? Doing what God tells you not to do. That's not hard to understand. He said, don't eat. She ate. She sinned. She disobeyed God. Sin's not hard to understand. She gave it to Adam and he ate. And all of a sudden, everything changed. You see, they'd been walking with God. Every day God would come. And and he would walk with them in the garden, in the cool of the day. Don't you know how awesome it was? The God who had created them in his own image, and they were the crown of his creation. And God had a purpose for them on this earth. But you know what they did? Once they sinned, realizing their nakedness, their guilt, their shame, they sinned. The Bible says they found a, a, a little, little bunch of trees, and they got down. First of all, they made them a covering of fig leaves. Then they got down behind the trees to hide from God. Doesn't that show you how sin makes you stupid? You can't hide from God, y'all. There's no tree that can hide you from God. And God came looking for them. They didn't go looking for God. God came looking for them. He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? He said, we're over here behind the trees. He said, what are you doing hiding? He said, did you eat of that tree that I told you not to? And from that moment on, look here, the creation that God created in his own image was separated from God. From that point on, we were separated from God. And you know, if you look at Genesis chapter, the end of that chapter, it says, and God sent man out of the garden. And then listen to these words. And God drove them out of the garden. And from that time forward, they, here was holy God And here was his crown of creation that he loved with an everlasting love, separated from him because there was a wall, a huge wall of sin that separated them from God. And so Jesus came on a mission to reconcile sinful man to holy God. And to do that, he had to break down the wall between God and man. He had to bring back reconciliation. He had to bring back one month, and the only way he could do that was to die on the cross for our sins. It was sin that separated us from God, 
And so to be reconciled to God, sin had to be paid in full. The price of sin had to be absolutely, completely satisfied. Now let me show you how personal it is. How Jesus reconciles you and I to God. Now, put your name on this, your name. And it's in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. This was, he was said, now the Messiah's coming. And let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to reconcile us. He's going to get rid of that sin that separates us. And he's going to make it possible for us, instead of being separated, to be one with God, to be accepted by God. So we begin reading in verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. Put your name there. Surely he has borne Fred's griefs and carried our sorrows. He bore our griefs. He bore our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then he goes on, and it's it's so personal. He says, listen, he was wounded for your transgressions. But, Lord, I should have been wounded for my transgressions. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep had gone astray. That was Adam and Eve. Everybody since Adam and Eve, but Jesus, every one of us has gone astray. Every one of us. All of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. What a picture of people today. I want to li- live my way. I want to do it my way. I know, God, you have a way, but I want it my way. I want to do it my way. It's my, it's my life. I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Well, God could have said, just go right on. And there's a broad road that leads to hell. You can just go right on. And that's where you'll end up. But that's not what the next rest of the verse says. All we like sheep had gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. Now get this. And the Lord. I'm going to let this be your life. I'm going to let this be a picture of Jesus. A picture of Jesus. A little bit so it's white. And the Lord laid on him. This is our sin. And the Lord laid on on him the iniquity of us all. And so Jesus took our sin, our iniquity, so that the wall of separation caused by sin could be broken down and so that we could be reconciled to God, reconciled to God. And it says we were reconciled through the blood of his cross. Now understand this. Please understand this. I know I say it, but people don't hear it. The religions of the world are based on this. 
You can never be reconciled to God by your good works. You cannot do that. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So why do we talk about the blood of Christ? Why do we sing about it? See, that's the life of God. The blood of Christ is the very life of God. And the very life of God was poured out on the cross in our place. And, and, and the world does not understand. Well, what is this? You don't understand. I mean, religion. Talk about being not good to your neighbor and talk about doing this and doing that. And I, I'm not against doing good. But I'm going to tell you something. Most religions believe that if you're good enough, you can be reconciled to God. That is a lie. Good works will never reconcile you to God. It is only the death of Christ. It is only his shed blood. It's on the fact that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all that we could ever come and be reconciled to a holy God. How does sinful man ever get reconciled with absolutely holy God? One way, through the blood of Christ. That's the only way. So I know what that cross is all about. <laughs> I tell you why I grow in the glory in the cross. Because God came and Jesus came to reconcile us, to reconcile us to himself. And we no longer have to be separated. Titus 3, 5 through 7 says, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Please listen to this. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So our only hope to ever be reconciled to God is through the death of Jesus on the cross in our place, being wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, our iniquity laid on him, and he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the gospel. That's the truth. That's why we glory in the cross. We can be reconciled to God through the death of Christ, but you have to receive it. God won't force you to repent of your sin. He will convict you. He will draw you. He will open your eyes, but God will not force you. He created, and his sovereignty, he created us with the will that we could choose. And so I would ask you the question, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with his death on the cross for you? What will you do with the fact that he shed his blood so you could be forgiven? What will you do with Jesus? You say, well, I'll ignore him. He refuses to be ignored. He said, I admire him. He doesn't want your admiration. Well, I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, reject him. You can. And there's a broad road that leads to destruction. Or, i tell you what I'll do with Jesus. I'll repent of my sin. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I'll say, God, I don't want to live a wicked, rebellious, sinful life. I don't want to go my own way. I don't want to go my own way. My flesh will lead me down the road to destruction. So I repent of my sin and I 
turn from my sin by the power of Jesus, and I receive Jesus and Jesus only as my Savior. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus the church. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus only and his precious blood that will ever reconcile anybody to God. And anything else is a lie. Now, what was the second purpose? Not only to reconcile us to God, but to restore us. I love this. For the purpose for which God created us. You know, did you know you're created in the image of God? Now, Adam and Eve, when God created them in his image, man, they, they were perfect. But now sin has marred, has marred the image of God in us. But if you want to know what God's purpose is for you, I want you to go back to the time when God created the first human being. You need to go back to the beginning and say, well, did God create him and say, just take care of the animals? That's part of it. Did God create him and just say, enjoy the beautiful garden? That was part. But why did God create us? What was the purpose of it? Well, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, look at what it says. Now get this. This this is your purpose. Jesus died on the cross so you could get back to this. See, we can't, get, we can't live in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We can't, uh, uh, 28, we can't live there until we're saved. But we can be restored. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl, over the, uh, the fowl of the air, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the, over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then verse 27 So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. So God created Adam and Eve. He said, listen, I've created you in my image. You're to be an extension of my life. He said, you're in my image. Not physically, you're in my image. And you're to be an extension of my life. Wherever you go, my life will be extended. You see, the life of God was in Adam. His body was the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And and, and Adam was to be an extension of the life of God. And everywhere Adam and Eve went, God's life was to be extended. And every person that would be born thereafter, they were to be our extension of his life. And so our purpose is that you and I, our life was intended to extend the life of God. That God's life would come out of us. And then notice what he says secondly. Let us create man in our image. Let's create him after our likeness. We were to express the character of God. Well, what is the character of God? He is holy. He is loving. I mean, he's peace. He's joy. He's perfect. We were not only created to extend the life of God, Wherever we went, the life of God was manifested in us. But we were created to be an expression of the character of God. Oh, 
And, and, and the overwhelming thing it says about God is that he is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So everywhere Adam and Eve went, the love of God was just to flow like a river out of them. And love never fails, never fails. But he said, let us create man in his image and woman in our image, an extension of his life. After our likeness and expression of his character. And let him have a dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. And they were to, we were to exhibit God's power. That's why God put us here. And your purpose, even this morning, as you sit here, is to be an extension of the life of God. What a world this would be if every one of us was an extension of God's life. And we were to be expression of his character. Let's make him in our likeness and let our character holy and righteous and godly and loving, let that just go out of them. He said, well, what kind of world would this be if we were an expression of God's character? And then said, just let him rule over this creation. Let him have dominion to rule over creation. Well, I don't have to tell you that... uh, When Adam and Eve sinned, that possibility was no longer a reality. Once sin separated them from God, they could not extend God's life. They could not express his character. And they could not exhibit his power. But Jesus came to restore the life of God in us. The truth that turned the John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, The truth that turned him around was a little booklet that he got from some Moravian Christians. It was written by Henry Skugel that said that Christianity before in the Church of England and all that, it was works, 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 do the best you can. But he said, no, no. Christianity is the life of God in the soul of man. That's what Christianity is. It's the life of God. No, you, you know what Jesus said? You've got to be born again. He said, when you were born, you got physical life. But he said, now, since Adam sinned, you, you're spiritually dead. So what you've got to have, you've got physical life, but you need spiritual life. He said, you've got to be born again. You've been born physically, but now you need to be born spiritually. And you know when you are born spiritually? When you repent of your sins receive the sacrificial, atoning death of Jesus Christ in your place and receive the risen Lord into your life. Glory to God. Now, this is it. Christianity is not about getting us out of earth into heaven. Glory to God. Christianity is about getting God out of heaven into us. Hallelujah. And you see, living the Christian life is not you. It's Christ living the very life of God in you. And I want to tell you, when Jesus is in control of your life, I promise you, you will be extending the life of God. And you will be expressing the character of God. And you'll be exhibiting the power of God. And that's the way the church is supposed to be. That's the way Christians are. Wherever we are, wherever Luke 4.18 is, as you scatter in this city, and every believer in Christ around this world, wherever we go, there Somebody's extending God's life. And there's somebody that is expressing God's character. And there's somebody that's exhibiting God's power. Oh, what a noble purpose for creation. 
No wonder the devil hates the children of God. No wonder he tries to destroy us with drugs and alcohol and uh, sexual prom- promiscuity and every kind of sin you can name. No wonder he tries to destroy us because he hates God. And God has already uh, condemned him to hell forever. He knows he's going. He wants to take everybody with him. He can. But he wants to stop us. Listen, the devil wants to stop you from extending the life of God and expressing the character of God and exhibiting the power of God. But I want to got good news for you. Greater is Jesus that is in you than the devil that is in the world. And he can't stop you. He can't stop you. When I look at the cross, I say, oh, I can be reconciled to God through the death of his son. And you know what? It it doesn't matter what my earthly vocation is. It doesn't matter what that is as long as it's God's will for me. But you know, I can get up in a dark world that is so dark. And wherever I go, the light of Jesus that is in me. And you know, when I go to work, God's going to walk in that office because as a believer in whom Christ lives, I'm an extension of the life of God. And you know, God's going to express his character. And God's going to exhibit his power. And so wherever I go, whatever I do, man, have I got a purpose. Man, has God got a plan for me. It is, hey, it's what I had for you in the beginning. So when Jesus comes to live in you and the life of God comes back in you, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. I give them abundant life and they shall never perish. I give them eternal life. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We had physical life. He said, I've came to give you the life of God. And so just remember this now. Why is God leaving you here? Is it just to make money and have a good retirement? I hope you make money and I hope you have a good retirement. I'm for that. But let me tell you something. You're not here for that reason. You're here so that in a dark, sinful world where men and women are separated from God by their sin, that you can be light and salt and somehow they'll know there's a God in heaven because you're, you're going to be an extension of the life of God, an expression of the character of God, and an exhibit of the power of God. They will see Christ in you. And that's the bottom line. It's not how religious you are. It's how much of God's life is coming out of you in your everyday life. And it's a battle. Oh yes, it's a battle. The devil doesn't want us to be God's representatives, ambassadors on this earth. He doesn't want that. So he's going to try to stop you any way he can. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ overcame the world. He overcame the flesh. And he overcame the devil. And we have victory in Jesus. You say, I'm not strong. God never said you were. (laughs) He said, I'm your strength. I want to ask you. We only have so many years on this earth. Shall we... Come to the end of life and say, well, Lord, I had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of failures, needed much forgiveness. But, Lord, I I know this. Most of the time, Jesus, 
His life came through me. I extended your life. And Lord, I, I, I had some, I, I messed up sometimes, but you know, I really expressed your character. I was in the world, but I wasn't of the world. I, I didn't live like the world. I, I didn't live in the works of the flesh. I had the fruit of the Spirit. And Lord, I did exhibit your power in the area that you gave me. You know, only one life, and it will soon be passed. Only when God's purpose has been fulfilled in us, extending his life, expressing his character, exhibiting his power by the Holy Spirit, will our life have counted for eternity.